1: Hello everyone. Welcome to AOA. Last
0: week of April and a busy week it will be. Hope you had a good weekend. Thanks for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We really appreciate it. Planters rolling again. We'll talk weather with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Markets going wild. We'll talk with Steve Nicholson with Robo Finance, and a proposal that some are calling a land grab by the federal government, the so-called 30 by 30 plan. We'll talk with Ryan Yates with the American Farm Bureau Federation about concerns and questions concerning that plan a little bit later on. But we start off a busy week with Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, there are those times we call slow news days or slow news weeks. This will not be one of them.
2: (laughs) That's exactly right. Actually, it started to heat up at the end of last week. I think we posted lots of stories on Thursday and Friday of Everything to expect in this busy week ahead and lots of things going on, of course, with uh, USDA, as you mentioned, on this 30 by 30 plan. And uh, President Biden, uh, his new newest plan to spend one point eight trillion on American families. Um, Lots going on, Mike, and uh, keeping our team incredibly busy.
0: Yeah, President Biden about to mark 100 days in office, and it's been highlighted in many ways by spending. Well, the bills are starting to come due, and now we're going to start hearing more and more about how they plan to pay for it, and that means uh, higher taxes.
2: Yes, he certainly has been very clear that uh, he does intend to tax those who are making more than $400,000 a year, But then he's going to hit a lot of other people with an increase in the capital gains tax, potentially as high as 43.4%, which, as the Wall Street Journal and others have editorialized, just means people are going to hang on to stuff a lot longer and the government actually lose money because it's such a high rate. But uh, in farm country, as you know, that's a big thing for trying to hand down the family farm and keep it in the family, and especially if there's a change in stepped-up basis, which could be critically harmful to a lot of families And the, when they have to pay such a high tax burden, they can't afford to even buy the farm. So uh, we're going to be watching that very carefully when he makes his uh, address to the joint session of Congress on Wednesday but i do have to say one thing to watch for though mike and that is you know a lot of these things are out there and the president certainly has to appease a very divergent set of democrats in his own party Um, some very liberal members and some very conservative members. But uh, the person to watch, of course, is Senator Joe Manchin, a more conservative Democrat from West Virginia. And he's not just rolling over and going along with all this stuff. So um, as much as we have to be watchful, we also should be watching Joe Manchin. And if he doesn't uh, become that Democrat that uh, goes along with everything that President Biden proposes, then the Republicans have a lot more room to try to find some middle ground.
0: Yeah, we'll see how this plays out. But I always say beware when any politician tries to tell you that taxes are only going to be raised for those that are rich and that you're going to don't worry about it because eventually it's going to get to everybody, right? I mean, it filters down and it reaches out in, in one way or another.
2: It, it does. It can influence the cost of goods. You know, we could see with all this spending, we could see an increase in inflation. I mean, there are a lot of watch watchful things right now, and that's why uh, we're trying to make sure that you know, our readers and your listeners as well, you know, stay on top of all of these.
0: Meanwhile, we'll be watching the Supreme Court this week over the... Uh... The biofuels issue, the small refinery exemptions issue, Uh, we'll we'll get a little more of a look, not a final decision this week, but uh, the next step in that process.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting on Tuesday with lawyers, and you'll see the feedback from the justices on the Supreme Court over whether EPA has that authority to extend small refinery exemptions that had lapsed. You know, refiners are appealing this 10th Circuit Court of Appeals ruling from January 2020 uh, saying that, uh, you know, they're in the, the right on this issue um, and they should be able to have these uh, so-called SRE, small refinery exemptions. But uh, uh, ethanol industry, of course, is looking to see that uh, those SREs are eventually, you know, scaled down and out. Because they were initially meant to just help these small refiners with under 75,000 barrels per day, and an expectation that um, you know if it hasn't been extended, that they shouldn't be allowed to have one in the future. So we'll be watching that very closely. And by the way, Mike, uh, our team Spencer and Ben, who you know, are launching their first podcast today on the biofuels industry, and a lot of it gets into uh, the history of, of not only the RFS, but SRE. So uh, stay tuned and look for that a little later today.
0: Yeah, we encourage people to check that out. Meanwhile, I was thinking about Secretary Vilsack. Um, he's, he's, and he signed up for this. He knew what was coming. But he's going to be out there now basically defending to agriculture uh, some of these tax and spin programs, uh, defending that the 30 by 30 is not a land grab. Uh, he's already said he'll talk about, uh, you know, to the Treasury Department about the importance of step up basis to agriculture. I mean, he's got a lot of uh, tightrope walking to do here when he talks to ag groups, because these are all issues that are hot point issues right now.
2: He does, and I think that the agricultural community in general is very happy that he's the one there because he does know the issues, and he's trying to walk, as you mentioned, a kind of a tightrope between incentivizing things that can, um, you know, sequester more uh, carbon, and for example, increase the CRP by four million acres. Well, that's a really heavy lift when you're looking at what commodity prices are right now. Who wants to? They'll retire their land when you can get the the kinds of uh, prices for corn and soybeans. Uh, And so, you know, we're already 4 million acres short of the target. And he wants to add another 4 million by a 10% increase. I think those are going to be tough things for him to do. But at least he's somebody who's experienced. He has the trust of the president. And I think that uh, at least we're going to have somebody who is making the case on why some of these things that are being floated uh, are potentially disastrous in farm country.
0: And finally, EPA Administrator Michael Regan made some comments on WOTUS that uh, were welcomed, I think, by many in the ag community when he said that they had no intention to go back to the Obama era rule, although he said there were some things about the Trump era rule that they didn't like necessarily. But uh, overall, I think the most in agriculture took those comments overall as positive.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the same sort of thing where we've got this balancing act, right, where a lot of people want to uh, destroy Mm -hmm. everything that Trump did. And others are saying, well, the Obama rule didn't work either. So he's going to try, I think, to sort of navigate a middle ground. And if he can do that successfully, I think Agribs will be right behind him in saying that this is a good path forward, but, you know, always the case devils in the details of how this will look when his proposal comes forward.
0: It's going to be interesting. Sarah's always good to talk with you. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Mike. Have a good week.
0: You too. Sarah Wine, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, as planners start to roll again, what kind of weather ahead for this week? As we wrap up April and head to May, we'll talk with DTN senior meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on AOA. Atoms on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Okay, need a little more. Too much, a little less, just about got it. And that's what it's like figuring out nitrogen. But with My Field Nurture from FS, your crop specialist can help with expertise and a vast array of tools to manage nitrogen all season. You'll get a plan for the right source, at the right rates, at the right times, and in the right place to maximize ROI. So talk with your FS crop specialist to learn more about My Field Nurture. Right there. Perfect.
0: Join us every Tuesday for a Round the Table brought to you by CHS. As we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
4: A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel your fleet can power through. Senex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
0: last week of april planters starting to roll again let's check in with dtn senior meteorologist bryce anderson bryce thanks for joining us how does this last week of april look
7: i think it's going to be a pretty good uh start to the week anyway for field work mike uh, planting should be about 20 percent done over uh most of the uh, major corn states uh when we get to the report this afternoon and um Like I say, there's going to be a pretty good uh, scenario to uh, continue uh, that progress today. Now, when we get into the middle part of the week, uh, things are going to probably get slowed down to some extent because there's a storm system right now that's uh, out in Utah bringing some uh, rain and snow into the western part of the country. Uh, We're going to see that uh, energy work eastward during the next couple days, and uh, by uh, late Tuesday into Wednesday, uh, there's going to be some uh, showers that start moving through the Midwest. And they could be, I would say, light to locally moderate uh, for the most part during Wednesday, but then uh, kind of continuing that, that uh, pattern of uh, fairly uh, uh, consistent rainfall across uh, much of the central and eastern part of the midwest during thursday so there's going to be some slowdowns there i don't think we're going to see a whole lot of uh, of uh, real uh, disruption over the western part of the midwest and so there's uh, still going to be you know some uh, some pockets where uh, planting uh, has a pretty good run all the way through the week some areas that have a little bit of a uh, slower trend uh, but in general nothing that's uh is just going to Uh, really hold things up to a large extent.
0: Will the really dry areas get some uh, needed precipitation?
7: I don't know that we're going to see very much at all. Uh, There's uh, some showers that are crossing the northern plains today. Uh, It looks like the uh, concentration is mainly in southeastern North Dakota uh, for that uh, moisture, and uh, for the drier areas of uh, spring wheat country, This uh, pattern is still not not really uh, setting up to offer uh, very much in the way of uh, moisture. We're going to have uh, maybe some uh, you know some just real brief uh, showers during the next couple days, but then things just turn completely dry until about Wednesday of next week, and then there could be a little bit uh, more frequent occurrences of light showers. But still, I'm not looking at anything more than maybe about a half an inch uh, of uh, total precipitation. And the, and that would be useful. But at the same time, we know that there's uh, just a real big deficit over that northern plains into uh, Canadian Prairies region.
0: We're talking with DTN Senior Meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, Bryce, we also need some uh, warmer soils. Are uh, we going to see that warm up this week?
7: I do think we're going to see that, Mike. Uh, this pattern is uh, showing more of a warming trend, uh, even uh, into the northern parts of the country uh, with a lot of temperatures, uh, you know, even well into the uh, 70s and possibly the 80s uh, during this first part of the week. So uh, we're going to get that soil temperature uh, trend uh, rebounding quite a bit. In fact, uh, today it's going to be borderline hot in the southwestern plains, which is adding to a real extreme fire threat in that part of the country, all the way from Alliance, Nebraska, clear south to the uh, Big Bend area of Texas. Uh, So there's going to be actually probably a little bit too much of a good thing (laughs) in terms of warming uh, combined with uh, very strong winds. So there's a lot of red, red flag wildfire warnings right now in that southwestern plains region.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about the wind. It has been a challenge this spring for spraying uh, to get any spraying done because of the winds. And you said there's also the fire concerns. And it looks like at least here at the beginning of the week, uh, some very windy conditions.
7: Definitely, and um, and that's not going to change as we go through uh, this this week because we've got um, you know this uh, fairly fairly deep uh, trough out in the west that's going to start uh, sliding eastward as uh, we go through the week. Uh, bringing in uh, strong winds at the front side of the trough out of the south, and then on the back side, some pretty strong winds out of the north. So it's going to be a pretty volatile week. Uh, that's uh, one feature that, that uh, has been uh, pretty consistent this uh, spring so far. There's no doubt about that. There have not been very many calm days, and you think about that with a transition uh, to uh, the seasons, but uh, we certainly have gotten that and then some. For sure.
0: So we look ahead to this weekend. We'll turn the calendar page to May. What's your May forecast looking
7: like? Well, the uh, the May pattern is is uh, offering uh, a lot of warmth over most areas, uh, with widespread uh, temperatures that are going to be anywhere from two to four degrees above normal. And uh, so I think that uh, we're certainly going to get the uh, the heat to bring crops along during May. The precipitation side is um, kind of variable. Uh, There could be some pockets of the central and southern plains that have above normal amounts of moisture, but then uh, near normal is in effect for quite a bit of uh, the northern and the western Midwest and below normal for the northern plains and in the eastern Midwest. So there's going to be a lot of variability, and then that just kind of morphs into a a June pattern that is really quite dry from central Iowa west, and then a little bit wetter uh, when we look, uh, say, from Des Moines, Iowa eastward. So there's going to be a lot of have and have not um, type of uh, rainfall uh, uh, depictions when we get into the month of June. But May has that more variable trend, definitely on a warmer side, though.
0: All right, let's look at South America. They've had dry conditions for their safrinha corn crop. Uh, Any change there?
7: Unfortunately not. Uh, This week is uh, still looking very light for central and southern Brazil, and uh, I I think we're going to have most of that uh, winter corn area uh, getting less than a half an inch of total precipitation, and that's not what they need, uh, but it looks like uh, we could be uh, witnessing the onset of the periodic uh, dry season that is part of their climate cycle in Brazil. Uh, the dry season can get going as early as uh, the latter part of April, and we could be seeing that, and if that's the case, you've got a lot of that winter corn crop getting ready to go into pollination with dry ground and uh, very warm temperatures in a real stressful uh, total environment to try to contend with.
0: Finally, Bryce. Uh, we keep uh, checking in on the La Niña uh, pattern. Are we in it? Is it holding? What What can you tell us?
6: Right
7: now, Mike, the Pacific is at neutral, and uh, the water temperatures have have showed a decline uh, to around uh, the neutral values, the uh, neutral uh, the neutral ranges. At this point, uh, the winds out of the uh, out of the uh, equatorial region have backed off to where. Uh, they are pretty much uh, on a seasonal or typical uh, na- uh, nature, typical uh, trend at this point, not really influenced by the at- by the uh, Pacific uh, atmospheric indicators. So at this point, uh, the Pacific is at neutral. There may be a weak La Nina developing, redeveloping toward the end of the summer, but uh, most uh, projections are that we are going to stay at neutral as we go through uh, the July time frame. Now, the 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 uh, caveat with that is that there could be more of an influence from some uh, kind of more localized, uh, not quite as long-lasting features, which also brings maybe a little bit more of a chance for rain during the growing season into the central part of the U.S., and if that happens, then that would obviously be something that would be very useful for crops and maybe a little bit less of a drier pattern than uh, we had been looking at earlier this year.
0: So we'll keep a close watch on that. Any other, looking around the world real quick, uh, around the world globally do we see any trouble spots in key production
7: areas weather-wise? Yeah, yeah you know this uh, scenario in Europe has not been favorable at all. They've been very dry over the last several weeks in, in Central Europe and also quite cold which has led to uh, stress on their winter wheat crop and also on the rapeseed, oilseed crop, uh, which has uh, really suffered some damage here lately. So, so Europe uh, being dry is not a favorable thing. On the other hand, the Black Sea region, Russia, wheat areas there have had pretty favorable rains, and they're in better shape.
0: All right. Around the Globe with uh, Bryce Anderson. Thanks, Bryce. Appreciate it. Take care.
7: Good, Good to talk to you, Mike. Thank you.
0: All right, DTN Senior Meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, of course, uh, those weather forecasts have a big impact on the markets, and those markets have been going wild. We have a lot to talk about with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst with Bravo AgriFinance. That's coming up next right here on AOA.
1: When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected. Which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanting.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit.
3: You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Last week's rally was on tightening supplies in the US, Brazilian second crop corn losses, drought in areas of the US and delayed US plantings. There is expected to be rapid planting as this week moves along. We are seeing sharp gains across the board today, with July corn trading up 14 and a half cent at 647 and a fraction, the December contract up 7 and a fraction at 558 and a fraction of a cent. For soybeans the July contract up 10 and a half cent at 1527 and a fraction the November contract up 11 and 3 quarters at 1353 and a fraction for wheats the Chicago wheat July contract up 15 and a half cent at 727 and a fraction of a cent Kansas City wheat July up 20 and a half cent at 701 and 3 quarters Minneapolis spring wheat May up 12 and 3 quarters at 731 and a fraction the July contract up 13 cents at 7 Thirty-eight and three quarters for livestock. This week will begin with uncertainty as traders cautiously see the reaction to the cattle on feed report. The numbers would suggest futures should see strength to start off this week. Hogs should follow through, riding on the strength of Friday. On the board of trade, August live cattle trading five cents lower at one sixteen eighty. The June contract down thirty-two at one fifteen forty. For feeder cattle, the August contract down ninety-two at one forty-eight ninety-seven. The May contract down sixty. At 137.02. For lead hogs, the May contract down 40 cents at 108.95, the June contract down 65 cents at 105.07. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 37 points, the Nasdaq Composite up 47, the S&P 500 up 12, crude oil in New York, the June contract down 84 cents at 61.30 per barrel. The U.S. dollar index is trending higher. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. For the American Egg Network, I'm Kirsten Rall. Do you know how to keep food safe at home?
1: Clean, separate, cook and chill.
5: The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe.
1: Clean, separate, cook
5: and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-Hotline.
1: Let's talk markets with Steve Nicholson,
0: grain and oil seeds analyst for Agro Finance. Steve, good to talk with you. How high are these good markets going to go?
8: Good morning, Mike. Boy, I tell you what, this is, this is a little bit of a jaw-dropper. Right? It just doesn't seem like there's a, you know, I hate to say this, but it almost seems like there's not an, there's no upside limit the way they've been going the last week. And it, it just, you know, it's just, you know, it's just hard to believe, to be honest. But I, I think we have to think about what the market's worried about, and, and, it's, and it's a lot of the things we've talked about, you know, really it's all winter long. It continues to be dry, and, and I hate to say this, and I guess it's almost May 1, uh, we're kind of in a weather market. I mean, the market is very concerned about the weather here. Um, farmers are very concerned about dryness, particularly in the Western Corn Belt, um, and also in Brazil. You know, that safrina crop is in the ground. It was late getting in the ground and now it you know it continues to be dry down there and there's just not you just not the prospects uh, that people want to see and i uh, for weather down there for this crop and you're starting to see private analysts private predictors showing a smaller crop than we thought now i have to give some kudos to my colleague in, in brazil who she tagged early on that that crop was not going to be 100 you know wasn't be 109 million metric ton in Brazil this year. It was closer to 102, 103 million metric tons. So we see people coming to her, which is it kind of makes you feel good. So I think those two things, particularly on the corn side, have just gotten you know really a lot of push to this market. Um, but you start looking at beans, it, it's a different story. You know, It's all about renewable diesel. I mean, the market is so hyped up about renewable diesel and the demand for fuel that this, this is kept, you know, in a sense, oil is driving the oil complex, which is an extremely unusual situation. And, you know, it wonders, and I actually am going through renewable diesel data right now, and you look at the plants and you start adding up the, you know, the millions, millions of gallons and back those into oil and back those into acres, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty eye-opening number and, think you know, it's just not sustainable.
0: Are we going to see or are we seeing for soybeans and renewable diesel what we saw for corn and ethanol a few years ago? Yeah, it's a good question,
8: and it's one I've kind of thought about and start to start wondering, is it the same sort of thing? I, I think it is. Um, you know, it's just this, but the the one difference, and I want to make one di- one sort of difference. You know, when we look at ethanol, you know, we had a lot of that in place and we knew what the target was from a standpoint of what was you know what kind of how many gallons do we have to meet to produce to meet a mandate and so there was a little bit of a road map to this in the case of renewable diesel there's not as much as a roadmap because it's not a federal there's no federal mandate it, it is only mandated in two states now california and oregon now there are five potentially more states at this point we know we know of five states for sure that have low carbon fuel standard. You know, initiatives or legislation in their in their state house, but there's it's not a federally mandated, so the path is a little different. And in my mind, ethanol was a much more clear path, where the renewable diesel is a little less uh, is a little less clear at this point.
0: All right, did I see that uh, they're already we're already buying some South American beans here in the United States already?
8: Yeah. I've seen that both beans and corn um, <clears throat> this is coming up off the east coast which is typically where it comes um, it seems a little early in the season for that mm-hmm. to be happening um, <laughs> which getting gets me a little worried but yeah you know you look at um, those east coast poultry folks in the Delmarva Peninsula and up and you know they're looking for meal they're looking for corn and you know, it's it's a hard move uh, straight east from the Corn Belt to there. Or always has been a bit of a, a more of a, a tougher move, particularly when prices get this high. So it's cheaper them to bring up. But I think it does bring up a point about the markets. Also, is it's an expectation. But I, I do think it's we don't know this for sure because until we get to the end of the year, but the market's expectation is that you know beans are tight. We knew that for we've known that for quite a while. But the belief is the corn stocks are much tighter than the USDA is showing us, and the market's reflecting that. Both when we look at you know futures prices, obviously, because that's the most the most clear. But basis levels in corn and and beans, I can't we can't discount that are extremely tight and continue to tighten up as we go and narrow. However, you want to what term you want to use, you know the basis levels are telling you all, and that tells you that stocks are tight. And the supplies are—you know—it's hard to hard to get supplies. So, those are a couple things that are all driving that East Coast move, uh, beans and, and corn into there.
0: We're talking with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo Agrifinance. So, Steve, are we? I mean, we usually we're talking about finding all the demand we can find and and, and try to sell, yeah. sell, sell. Uh, are we looking at the possibility of rationing and and cutting back on sales because of this uh, this tight supply
8: yeah it's you know I had that question last week from somebody asked me have we ever embargoed US exports and I hate to say that and and you and I are kinda the same generation remember the Carter embargo of Hmm. 1979 and you know I, I don't I don't that has not I've not seen that talked about in policy circles I've not seen embargoes talked about. I've not seen, you know, export taxes talked about. Um, it just, you know, and I even you know I even hesitate to say that because that creates so much havoc within the market. Uh, it creates so much uncertainty down the road. And as those who remember the Carter embargo, you know, remember, and, and even Nixon did some embargoing back in his day, remember that that created such a tr- turmoil in the markets it took, Almost a decade for the U.S. to get back to that reliable supplier, and so I, I haven't heard any talk in policy circles. I'm not expecting that, but we certainly these prices are rationing demand because the market's saying we don't have any more beans. You're going to have to, you know, if you're going to if you're going to get beans, you're going to have to really pay up for them. And in some senses, with corn too, if you want corn, you're going to have you're going to have to pay up for that corn. So the market is doing its job, and that's that's the good news. Let the market make that decision and do that.
0: Okay, how old are we that we're talking about Nixon and Carter trade policies? I mean, <laughs> wow. <laughs> we're, a, we're showing we're our age, a, age here, Steve.
8: We are showing our age. Yeah. Now. That's
0: exactly right. That's <laughs> for sure. Um, but as we look at this overall, I mean, we see strong sorghum demand. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's just across the board, it seems like, right? That that's that's the thing, and and it's across all
8: commodities, and and you've seen cotton, sorghum, corn, wheat, soybeans, durum wheat, um, you name it. The demand is strong, and it's and all of it's coming from China. And China is making some is making some policy changes on their feed rations and using more wheat and rice because that's what they have in their stocks, and there's some concern about um, about their. You know, about you know getting stuff in the second quarter, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit. They're concerned about how high those stocks are, so they're trying to work them down, and also the high cost of corn. But I will tell you, I had an interesting question last week from my colleague in China, in both on the grains and oilseed side and animal protein. They were concerned about you know the port stories here about how clogged up our ports are, and will they be able to get their second quarter shipments? Uh, of corn and soybeans, and I and you know, I assured them I don't think that's going to be an issue because that's not what the clogs are. But you know they're certainly concerned, and they're certainly looking for those shipments because they have a need, and that need's not going to go away anytime soon. So the demand just is unsatiable right now, um, and and when you look at the fact is that you have countries who are coming out of COVID, and we have to recognize our countries who are not, like India, um, as economies ramp up that will increase the demand for food overall as as economies open up you know there's people go back to work restaurants open up food service all that and so it's it's a bit of a it's it's an optimistic future right now for sure
0: but it puts farmers in a interesting oh. spot in trying to make marketing plans, you know, yeah. should we sell or, or, or watch this thing keep going up, you know, and uh, wait, to, so what are you saying?
8: Yeah, it, it does put farmers in that, it, it paralyzes farmers, it paralyzes all of us, to, you know, what do we do? Um, and I can tell you just parenthetically, buyers in the same situation, they're thinking, God, it's got to go down, what do I do? So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of similar com- company there, but it's like we always say, can you lock in profitable margins to these levels? And if you can, you need to start making, you need is making some of those decisions now. We know as fast as this market went up, and that's the, that's the scary part, and how, and how fast it turned around, it can do the exact same to the downside. So we certainly continue to, to have that discussion with producers is if you can lock in margins, Get it locked in so that you're here for another year to work, uh, to farm. And so I think we still have that message. And again, like we've said before, we're not saying sell the whole 21 crop or the whole 22 crop, um, but you know, get get some get 20 percent, get 25 percent, you know, locked in, and then and then wait if you if you can. Um, you know, it also depends on what your cash flow needs are. What are your what bills are you paying, and and all those sorts of things. So we don't we don't shy away from saying, you know, here are market opportunities. The market is giving an opportunity that, you know, I, I, you know, even I think you and I would say, we're much younger now, you know, a decade ago when we saw this, we mm-hmm. thought, boy, this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity, and here we get a second, you know, a once-in-a-generation opportunity twice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's you can't ignore the market opportunity.
0: That's for sure. Steve, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Good to talk to you, Mike. Take care. Take care. It's uh, wild times for sure. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Rambo AgriFinance. So is the Biden administration's 30 by 30 plan a land grab, as some say, or as they say, is it to protect private working lands through voluntary programs? We'll get the thoughts of the American Farm Bureau Federation next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that
5: doesn't mess around. Do you know how to keep food safe at home?
1: Clean, separate, cook, and chill.
5: The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours, and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe.
1: Clean, separate, cook, and
5: chill. For more information, visit befoodsafe.gov or call 1 888 MP Hotline. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media like, like, dislike, block.
1: We know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected. Which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to PrecisionPlanting.com forward slash free. And request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com. For slash free for your free emergence flagging kit in your everyday business
0: operations there are endless things you can't control fuel prices don't have to be one of them with the average price contracting program available at fs we can provide you with a way to reduce the uncertainty of fluctuating fuel prices it's a smart and convenient way for you to know what your fuel costs are going to be so that you can enjoy a little peace of mind the average price contracting program at fs is just one more way that we can help take your business further Contact your FS Energy Specialist today. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information.
4: A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Senex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel diesel that doesn't mess around.
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're joined by Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. First of all, with the labeling issue on E15, uh, for those not familiar with what's going on here and what you're wanting from EPA, kind of bring us up to date on this.
6: The
8: EPA did in January finally release a proposal where they are proposing to make changes to the E15 label that is currently required on pumps that are dispensing E15.
0: But the label would make you think just the opposite, that somehow the majority of vehicles cannot and you you need to be warned to not use it. That's kind of the impression it leaves.
8: That's right, and in fact, there's a strong argument that maybe a label isn't even needed anymore Right, because you're right, 95% of the vehicles on the road today
0: are legally approved by EPA to use E-15. The vehicle has to be a model year 2001 or newer vehicle. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. With Sinex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. It's being called the 30
0: by 30 plan, part of the uh, president's strategy for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Some are calling it a land grab, but the administration says it's intended to protect private working lands through voluntary programs. We're going to talk about the 30 by 30 plan with Ryan Yates. He is the uh, Managing Director of Public Policy for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Ryan, thanks for joining us. What questions or concerns do you have about the 30 by 30 plan?
6: Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. And I think we probably, there's more questions than answers at this point. And I think that's what we're hearing from our members across the countryside is, you know, what is this 30 by 30 initiative? What does it mean? And how, how could it affect farmers and ranchers, and I, I guess the biggest question is, you know, how does the administration plan to, to define what conservation is? The, uh, the executive order signed in January uh, urged the administration to come up with some goals and objectives for achieving this 30 by 30 uh, climate and sustainability objective, and we are eagerly anticipating uh, the Interior Department to release a report this week that should Provide some detail uh, as to how they they plan to achieve that goal.
0: You know, I we just talked uh, in the last segment about markets and this tight supply and growing demand, and uh, can we meet the demand right now with some weather concerns, production concerns in South America? We wait to see about our 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 season here, but. Um, at the same time, you've got uh, the government now wanting to take acres out of production. Um, it, it looks like that could be a tough sell with commodity prices the way they are right now.
6: Well, yeah, if you look at the, that CRP uh, proposal from last week, uh, we've been having conversations with our economists, and yeah, when you're looking at, at uh, high commodity prices, uh, it, it will be a challenge for, uh, I would imagine, for the government to achieve that that objective of getting more acres in and so again that's probably why they're putting incentives on top of that but um, you know what I think broadly you know any sort of federal effort on conservation uh, ultimately needs to be uh, voluntary market-based solutions I think you know across the ideological spectrum um, you know hardcore uh, regulatory mandates don't work I think agriculture has proven it time and time again that uh you know a voluntary market-based approach works and if you look at congress now you've got nearly half of the, the united states senate supporting the um a new climate bill put out by senators braun and Stabenow, uh, the growing climate solutions act which you know promotes that voluntary market-based approach so again i think if if the administration wants to move in that direction uh, that's a direction that will that will work and is grounded in bipartisanship so again i think we're we're hopeful that 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 will that will ultimately be what uh how this 30 by 30 initiative uh is defined and uh, rather than a, than a than a mandate uh you know that voluntary nature of uh, of climate solutions uh, frankly it works and and uh, farmers and ranchers in the private sector are well well ahead of the curve in this space
0: do you think the federal government is trying to acquire more land—is this a, as some call it, a land grab attempt? Do you think?
6: You yeah, know, those are those are fun words to, to toss around. I know Secretary Bill Beck made it clear in comments last week that, that he does not anticipate a land grab, but certainly I think there are sensitivities across the country. When you've seen previous administrations, um, you know, uh, continue to acquire federal land, uh, you've seen land use designations put in place on. On federal lands that limit the amount of multiple use um, and active management that could occur across those lands, and so I think people are people are, are hesitant. They're skeptical, um, and there's certainly those those sensitivities out there, especially in our western states that um, uh, folks need to be mindful of. But again, it just really depends on on the approach, and, and this is one of those situations where words matter, and um, you know this this ultimately is an effort to. To buy more land or take land out of production that will likely be um, not not be received well, but again, if this is ultimately an effort to to promote uh, incentives for conservation and work with farmers and landowners in a in a public process, then I think it will probably be received much much better
0: uh, I guess the big question is can you add four million acres to the CRP and those four million acres truly be land that you would consider, um, you know, at risk uh, because of erosion or things like that, I mean, that you need to really protect. Or can you get 4 million of those acres and not take, uh, you know, good production land out
6: of production? Well, uh, man, that's the biggest question that has came to be done. Uh, frankly, you know, I think that there are lands that uh, should be identified and have been identified for enrollment that make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but when you get to a place where you're you're creating competition um, for for farmers and ranchers that are wanting to produce, uh, no one wants to see prime agricultural land taken out of production. And I don't think that is the uh, the congressional intent or the intent of the CRP program. So again, hopefully uh, we can continue to um, do more with less, and that's that's what farmers and ranchers continue to do year after year. Uh, but again, um, you know, targeting. Those sensitive and highly erodible lands, um, you know, that does make sense, and I think, you know, there are a lot of conservation benefits that can come from that, but uh, especially in today today's economy, um, we need to um, continue to maintain uh, our highest and most productive farmland um, and continue to produce
0: well, as you said, a lot of this is the approach, right? Voluntary or mandatory, and we're still waiting to see get those details.
6: That's exactly right. It's a characteristic, and again, uh, you know, when it comes to you know protecting private property rights and supporting uh, small businesses, uh, the carrot tends to work better.
0: All right, we'll watch it, Ryan. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
6: Thank
7: you, sir.
0: Take care, Ryan Yates. Managing Director, Public Policy for the American Farm Bureau Federation. So a lot of proposals on spending programs, on taxes. We'll talk more about those tomorrow. Also get a planting update. Lots going on. Stay with us each day right here on AOA. Cinex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.